a fruit called Aki, a soup called Rundown, and some of the best chocolate in the world. This week, we're in Costa Rica. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. If you're new to the show, each week we travel to a different spot on the globe and talk about the cuisine of that area and fun things to do there. And this week, it's chocolate, fresh-picked coconuts, even a little Philly talk with Kim Haas of the great new TV show Afro-Latino Travels with Kim Haas. But first, if you could, subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now we're even on iHeartRadio. Kim Haas is the creator and host of the new TV show Afro-Latino Travels with Kim Haas. The show's different from anything else on TV because Kim explores the heart and soul of the Afro-Latino people in the Caribbean, Central, and South America. It's a story that hasn't been told on TV before, and Kim talks with me about making the show, the people she met in Costa Rica, why the show's so important, and, of course, we talk food. Destination. Eat, drink. Congrats on your show, Kim, Afro-Latino Travels with Kim Haas. Thank you. For folks who haven't seen it yet, how, how do you describe the show? Good question. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Gracias. <laughs> uh, the show is, you know, I like to say it's a groundbreaking because I, it pretty much is. Um, celebration and honoring of Afro-Latinos. And so through the history, culture, arts, music, dance, um, we'll eventually get into environmental issues, um, really showcasing the positive impact people of African descent have had in Latin America. I saw the first two episodes on Costa Rica, and I just loved it. Thank you. It made me think back to uh, our visit to Costa Rica a few years ago, but you had some really exciting times there. The first thing I wanted to ask you about, because, you know, we talk about food on this podcast. Yes. And in Costa Rica, there's something called the uh, ackee fruit that migrated originally mm -hmm. from West Africa with the enslaved people. But Correct. if you could talk a little bit about the ackee fruit, this looked very interesting and delicious to me. <laughs> uh, you know, and this is by no means am I trying to, um, you know, speak negatively of, you know, people in their culture, but the fruit initially, when I tasted it, is it's kind of slimy and sour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think in the end, yeah, it was delicious. It won, it won you over in After the end? After mother, Tariq is one of the, the gymnasts we profile, and his mother, Nuri, made a great dish. And I mentioned, you know, on the show that um, she did a great job, you know, kind of converting it from, you know, natural state to the dish that we had, which actually tasted like um, scrambled eggs, it reminded me. But a really wonderful taste. And, but yeah, it was kind of sour. And um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't immediately drawn to it, let's say that. <laughs> but it, as you said, was, you know, originates in West Africa. And then Jamaicans brought it over as they migrated 
to and emigrated to Costa Rica. And so it's part of, you know, Costa Rican cuisine and particularly on the Caribbean coast um, where many of the Jamaican emigrants uh, who arrived around the early 1900s, their descendants live. And so, it's, you know, it's incorporated like any other culture. It's incorporated into the cuisine. And um, yeah, it was a great learning experience. You mentioned going. Uh, Tariq is one of the guys that you interviewed in the show. He's a gymnast. I believe you said he's yeah. an Olympic hopeful. You showed some scenes of him working out. The guy is freaking ripped. And I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, I just thought, all right, I don't know if my girlfriend needs to see this. Um, but <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to see this. Yeah. <laughs> but the the thing that struck me was, you know, you got the invitation to go to his parents' house and they, they made you a meal. And I always think it's interesting. Um, do you have any advice for folks who maybe aren't making a TV show? How to secure that golden ticket invitation to a local's house? Oh, that golden ticket. Um, yeah, my um, my daughter loves Charlie uh, and Taco Factory. So, um, you know, I think I try so much when I travel just to be open, to try and, you know, read about the the community, the culture before I, I go to learn what, you know, is what are the norms in terms of how people respond, you know, it would like you to perhaps approach them or what's the best way to connect. And I think now there's so many resources online in terms of ways you can connect with people and have, you know, a home cooked meal with a local. I mean, what's better than that? I mean, truly. So I think, you know, do some research. Find out ways. I, you know, and I talk to friends and I'll ask friends, you know, do you know somebody in, for example, in this instance, you know, in Limon, Costa Rica? You know, if you do, can you hook me up with, you know, I'd love to meet up with the family. And because I have my husband and I have a 10 year old, you know, children are a great way can open doors. Do they have kids? Can I love my daughter to meet, you know, a Costa Rican child and practice her Spanish? So I think one of the things is that we have at our disposal is, you know, is our friends and family and our community and just asking people, hey, I'd, I'd love, I'm going to, you know, your home country or, you know, I'm going to this area. Do you know anybody and do you know anybody who might be willing to host us? I think just asking people sometimes, you'd be amazed at, you know, what, how open and receptive people are. That's some great advice, Kim. And, you know, the other thing is there for a lot of these places, there's also expat communities, Americans living down there, and sometimes you can connect with them via Facebook. That's one thing that I've done is like, look for expats in this town or that town. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll point you in the in the right direction too, because Absolutely. I, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while now, and I always ask, mm -hmm. uh, I always ask the locals, the folks who, you know, maybe do food tour guides who are from the city, and I'll say things like, oh, this dish, where can I get this this dish the best? And the answer is inevitably at my grandmother's house. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, I yeah. can't just go to your grandmother's house. How do I? <laughs> how do I get? Or can that? I? <laughs> yeah, or maybe maybe that's a good way to uh, weasel an invitation, kind of subtly, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and offer to help with. I mean, I think what you said is perfect. And then, you know, offer to help with the ingredients, or can I get to the market first, so that you know, depending on people's economic. Situations, people, I think, so hospital, hospitable when you travel, I found, 
Um, but I think it's, it's nice if you can, you know, many times people say no, 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 and they genuinely want to do it. But I, I will try and offer, you know, can I pick up, you know, something for you? Can I pick up some of the ingredients? Um, just if it may be perhaps a hardship for someone, you know, just to offer that. Um, or, you know, I, I'll help with the dishes. You know, anything that makes someone feel like you're just not coming in, intruding, and then leaving. Right. But that you're there also to help. So That's some really good advice, too, because, you know, the typical hospitable thing to do in the U.S. is bring a bottle of wine or something like that. Right. But I never thought right. of doing the shopping because that's a that's a double win. You get to go to the market, find out about these ingredients, you know, get some of these ingredients, yeah. and then you get to, to go to the house. That's perfect. Yeah. You were in uh, Limon, Costa Rica, and one of the cool places you went was this place called uh, Selvin's Kitchen. And yes. don't I'm not going to ruin it for folks, but tell us about this place because I just love that part of the show. Well, I'll just say that it's, it's worth a trip. And if you're thinking about going to Costa Rica, consider the Caribbean coast. Uh, I think it's somewhat overlooked. But when um, you talk about expat, there are you know, still quite a few you know, folks from the U.S. down there. But, um, yeah, you just travel on this, you know, quiet, this back, this road, and there's so much. When you think of Costa Rica, the greenery, it's just beautiful and lush. And, you know, you pull up and you're at Selvin's. And I love, I mean, one of my favorite things truly is, you know, the tropics, Caribbean, the warm weather, palm trees. So I'm already like, once you've got that established, you know, any dish is going to be good for me. <laughs> You know, because I just love the warm weather. And so Selvin is just a wonderful gentleman. I just really enjoyed him. He's owned his restaurant for years, Selvin's. Um, he's how many meters from the beach? A stone, I mean, you know, a couple throw, stones throw away and you're really at the beach. And he's one of 14 kids. So if you can imagine that. And he made... um this dish called run, run, rundon or rundown in English, you know, as we say in English without rundown. And he was telling me it's about, you know, run down and go get the, you know, the fish from the mark, from right, the, right. from the beach or go pick the vegetable and go run down and you go get this. And it was just hilarious. And plus his spirit, I mean, all that makes a dish taste even better, right? When you know someone's made and they've got great energy and great spirit behind them, and then you hear the family story behind, and he's telling me about his mom, Anita, and how she would make the dish. And so, you know, Rundown or Rondon is very popular in the Caribbean countries, and especially where they're Jamaican immigrants, um, and Costa Rica being one. And it's just so, you know, if you can picture and imagine, you know, a coconut kind of stew, coconut-based milk, seafood. I mean, all these things I just love. Um, the flavors, I can still taste it. It's so rich and creamy and satisfying. And even, you know, these days, it's what is it, 80-some degrees, right? You're, you know, so you're consuming something that's warm. But it was just so wonderful. And being in his kitchen and learning about his family traditions and culture, like I said, all that just makes the dish even even better. So, yeah. But I, I hope that people will tune in and watch. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about Selvin's Rundown Soup is that he makes his own coconut milk. Like he makes it yeah. from the coconut. And I don't think yeah. I've ever seen that before. I mean, you know, if I make a curry or something, I just grab a can of coconut milk out of the pantry. Right. 
Just describe how he made his own coconut milk and could you taste the difference compared to what you'd get in the grocery store in a can? Yeah, no, I don't want to, you know, because we shot this um, a while ago, so I don't want to, I want to make sure I represent it accurately, but um, or maybe I'll just encourage the viewers to watch, <laughs> but you know, it's the coconut and he called it the coconut trash, which is kind of the leftover, the remaining um, liquid and stuff. And then he used, uh, used it to make the, the rundown or rundown. And, um, yeah, there was, you know, I'm not, I, I love coconut. I love coconut milk in, you know, when it's flavoring and part of dishes. And, but when somebody takes the coconut and you know that it's just been in the tree, you know, an hour before, two hours before, whatever, it gives it that extra special touch. Uh, I believe. And you can just taste the freshness. And, you know, I started using coconut milk and, you know, from the can, but I think there's still nothing like knowing that the coconut was just picked a half an hour prior, an hour prior, or meeting the person who picked it. I mean, or the stories behind it, you know, for me, it just adds to the incredible journey that you're on and this great learning experience. So, I think as much as possible, when you can go fresh, you know, go fresh. But if not, we still have some wonderful, you know, options that we can use. This is now the the second time when you've kind of alluded to the atmosphere, the environment of being yes. in the place and enjoying it. And this is something I've talked about on the podcast a few times before, which is, yes. you know, people will say things like they'll come back from Italy and they'll be like, oh, the gelato in Italy tastes so much better than it does here. Yes. And and maybe it does. Yeah. But my thing is always, yes, but you're eating the gelato and you're doing the passeggiata and you're hanging out with Italian right. people. And that also makes it taste better. You know, why does the Guinness take taste better in Ireland? Well, because you're hanging out with right. Irish people in a pub and it's, it's so much more right. fun. So I think that's kind of what you're alluding to a little bit here, Kim, is that, um, you know, yes, it probably does taste better, but that environment of being in Selvin's restaurant, knowing that he yeah. just made it from a fresh coconut adds so much yeah. more to the flavor when it activates inside your brain. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly, but I must say that the gelato in Italy is, is incredible. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> not trying to not trying to not trying to run down for for lack of a better term, the gelato in nice, Italy. Nice. <laughs> but uh you know, and the other thing about the rundown is that struck me, speaking of Italy, is that it seemed to be very similar, like a similar idea, not a similar recipe, but a similar idea to something like um, pantry sauce or like a puttanesca, where it's like you just grab what's in the pantry and you put it right. all together. And the rundown kind of reminds me of like, hey, whatever, whatever we can run down and get, that's what we're going to we're going to toss in here. I mean, so many cultures have a cuisine, a dish that is made from just taking, you know, I don't want to say well, scraps, but taking the ingredients that you have at hand. Right. And using what is readily available and making something pretty wonderful, which will often become a staple or star of the culture um, or what people, you know, gravitate towards. So I think we see it as universal where communities will take, you know, what they have readily available, what's in season and make something out of it. I mean, that's the resourcefulness of, you know, not just uh, 
you know, Jamaicans, but I think cultures in general, people just, you know, take what they have and make the best of it. Now, Costa Rica is also known for its cacao. Mm -hmm. This is the, the plant that grows the pods where we get the chocolate from. Talk a little bit about the, the chocolate culture in Costa Rica, because folks who are really into chocolate, one of the places they look for is the, those cacao beans coming from Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Costa Rica is, as you said, is, um, you know, really a great place to get. I mean, eventually, if you want to just buy chocolate or even the cacao. So we went and visited uh, Daniel South of Cacao South. And he, you know, he's another, you know, really wonderful person. And his family, the farm had been in his family for years. He's been, his parents were involved in it. And What's interesting is that there were a lot of and still are, you know, Daniel was sharing with me, um, and so off camera too, that there are a lot of black farmers in that region, and which is great for, for growing uh, the cacao and, you know, converting it obviously into the eventually the chocolate that, that we love. And so that area, because I think many times we don't, may not associate, you know, black farmers with, with chocolate. But he was telling me about the number of Afro Costa Ricans who are involved in half farms and in chocolate, you know, cacao production. So it was really wonderful. And if you can imagine just being in this absolutely lush place, again, incredible greenery. It was like paradise, I said. And um, just having, you know, tasting and watching the process from, you know, the cacao, the pod, and as he goes through it and talking about the fermentation process, it's a real, um, it's a real learning experience and how he, he said he wants to be the best. You know, he wants to produce the best cacao and the best chocolate, depending on, you know, where people, you know, eventually purchase from him, but he wants to produce the best in the country. You know, when we think about farming, techniques, maybe here in America, you think of like a wide open field with corn as far yeah. as you can see. But cacao farming is something completely different. And maybe this is just my impression, but it seems like it's much less invasive to the local ecosystem because cacao needs to be grown in kind of a forested area. That area, I mean, he was able to produce and he was telling me about his production. So yeah, they had the, they're like growing on these, you know, trees really. And he was showing me, and there was this massive amount. I wish I could, you know, give you like numbers, but in terms of footage, acreage. But yeah, he had, and I think in a relatively, seemed like relatively small space, you know, he was able to walk me through the, the process of, uh, you know, of taking the cacao and, and the whole production process. So it was really quite fascinating in, you know, maybe at least the, the space that we were in, you know, was no larger than a football field. You know, went through the drying process. He was explaining about that and rotating it. But his acreage was larger than that. His, his farm, you know, spread beyond that. But where he was able to produce was at least in that. I don't think it was any larger than a football field, um, at least the part that we were, you know, we were in. So now that you've tried 
cacao nibs from cacao south you know some of the best in yeah. the world uh are, are you a uh are you a, a chocolate snob now? Because sometimes I think I'm a chocolate snob. Um, my, my brother, he's definitely a chocolate snob. What do you prefer? Are you dark chocolate, milk chocolate, uh, well, white? Yes, uh, dark chocolate mostly. I will have milk chocolate yeah. occasionally. But, you know, my, my brother has this saying, and it's uh, uh, single origin or go home. <laughs> and so by that he means, you know, he's not going to take, he's not going to have a bar that has some from Ghana and some from Ecuador and some right. from Costa Rica, you know, right. it's got to be from just Cacao South. So I'm wondering what, if this changed your mindset about chocolate at all after visiting Cacao South. You know what, it's always great, I think, or for me, I like to always know where, when you know who's producing it, you've been to the place, uh, like we were talking about earlier, it just. It does make, it seems like the chocolate does or whatever, you know, in this case, the chocolate. I mean, his was really, he gave me a, at the end, you, you know, I'm tasting and sampling um, a chocolate, like as a bar. And then afterwards, you don't see on camera. We had some great brownies. I mean, oh, it, it was just smooth and creamy and, you know, slight cre slightly creamy, but just a wonderful, rich taste and flavor. So um, I think there is still, again, something to be said for getting it from the source, you know, and knowing the person that really worked to produce it, um, you know, just not this mass production. I mean, you could see in the show the you know, the manual labor that goes into right, right. making it and producing it. And so it just wasn't this mass produced piece of chocolate, which is still nice, you know, I still, you know, but it was something that had a you know, a deeper meaning. Costa Rica, you did two episodes in Costa Rica. Kim, have you given any thought to where you want to go next? Any other shows that you would like to produce for your series? Oh, it's like, yeah, what I, when I haven't thought about it, <laughs> the, you know? The whole world, right? The whole world of uh, yes, yeah. Afro-Latino. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, this series focuses on um, really, as I said, shining a light on the contributions of Afro-Latinos, so that Latin Americans of African descent. And it really came about because I would watch Spanish-language television in the United States, and I never saw anyone who looked like me. But yet, when I traveled to Havana and Venezuela and to Colombia and to other countries in Latin America, and I have friends in Philly who are Puerto Rican and have African ancestry, and they're Dominican, again, and look like me. You know, there's a real lack of representation, um, of sharing their stories, how much they've contributed to Latin America. So I just came up with this idea to, to do what I hadn't seen on Spanish language television. Um, so, you know, my list is long in terms of where I want to go, but... We were supposed to be shooting in, in Brazil, in Salvador, mm. in August. Um, potentially, we were looking at in discussions to shoot in Colombia, in Cali, in August. Oh. There's um, yeah, an incredible festival, Petronio Alvarez, in Cali, and I went to it uh, three years ago. And um, Cali has a rich Afro-Colombian tradition. So there's no shortage of places. It's just, you know, about getting out there. And then also, you know, funding. Um, so to put the series together is no small feat. And, you know, so we have to work on, on that side of it as well. But we were, 
We were supposed to be shooting in, in Salvador and potentially Rio in August, as well as Cali, Colombia. So you mentioned Brazil. So a couple of things there that mm-hmm. you mentioned that were interesting to me. One is uh, watching Spanish language television. You speak Spanish, obviously. Yes. But yes. I believe you also speak Portuguese, which yes. would serve you well, obviously, in Brazil. And yes. What, do you also speak Italian? Am I am I right about that? I do. Parlo italiano. Anche. And yeah. and where did you uh, where did you learn Italian? Because I think you studied in Italy. Yes. Uh, you know, in college, uh, I was a Spanish major, and so call me crazy, but I remember one semester I took. I had several Spanish classes for my major, and I also had a Portuguese class and an Italian. Mm. So. Yeah, that was that was something. You know, I had to before class. I had to remember which language am I going into? What class is this? You know, um, to be in that in that correct frame of mind for the language. But um, yeah, so you know, when you study one la- romance language, you know, the other ones tend to come easier. Right, right. I think. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, exactly. So I took up Portuguese, and then you know, I've been studying Italian for many years, and. I lived in Taormina, Sicily, um, oh, for some Tarim- graduate work I was doing. Yeah. yeah. I, have you? I, yes, I had. Sicily is one of my favorite all-time places because, yes. well, we've been there several times, and Taramina, mm. Taramina is so beautiful. I'm not going to... I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but uh, no, if you picture, if you picture in your mind's eye, just for folks who are listening, you've got Sicily, and it's got the three sides, and Terramina's on the east side, so Palermo's in kind mm-hmm. of the northwest, no, northern part right. of Sicily. The eastern part of Sicily is a whole different world, and Catania's mm-hmm. one of my favorite cities. Ortigia's my all-time favorite place. And then mm. between them, you've got uh, Terramina, which is kind of the balcony of Sicily. So de- describe oh, describe Terramina, uh, what your experience was like there, Kim. It was beautiful, and, you know, you've got, um, you know, you've got the potted plants, and you're looking out, you've got these incredible uh, views, and if you can picture... Um, just, you know, the water and these old um, streets and you're doing the passeggiata um, and you've got perhaps the gelato. I love, <laughs> and I don't, normally don't eat chocolate ice cream, but the chocolate gelato was just amazing. Mm. I mean, I went back for a second. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a really beautiful city with an amphitheater. Um, and it's got that, you know, the Greek and Roman architecture and it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful town and it's small. I think, you know, you can really walk around a lot and, um, kind of get to know it. And there's that piazza right there where you're overlooking the Mediterranean and it's just yes 180 degree views. Gorgeous. It's just, it's fantastic. And Gorgeous. I, I am just, I'm really jealous of you that you're able to do Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian because, you know, I barely, barely speak Italian. And it's only after I, mm-hmm. I restudy, you know, when we're planning to go to Italy that I can get up to maybe kindergarten level. But you talk about the continuity between romance languages. Then we go to somewhere like France and I try to study a little bit of French. 
and it all comes out mixed up between the, I call it my, my, uh, fritalian language that I make. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Fritalian. That's cool. Cause I just, everything gets mixed up because there's kind of a, a double-edged sword there. You know, it's like, okay, they're similar to each other, but then that leads me to mix things up quite mm-hmm. a bit. And of course in America, right. we have people who speak, you know, what they call Spanglish. So I guess that's kind of a yeah. common thing that happens. So we've got we've got the um, shows from Costa Rica. You've got some cool places that you're going to go. It sounds like that you're thinking about yeah. for season two. So we'll yeah. look forward to seeing that. And I'll put links to your show in the show notes. But before we let you go, Kim, um, you grew up in Philly. I can't let you go without talking oh. a little bit about the food scene in Philly. Um, because yeah. I love the Italian neighborhoods in, in Philly, yeah. but you tell me what, what are some things that you remember from growing up in Philly that you really liked as far as food goes? Uh, pretzel, okay. um, the Philly pretzel and hoagies. Of course. Yeah. We call them hoagies in Philly, but everybody else probably calls them submarine sandwiches or subs. Or a grinder. A Philly. Yeah. Yeah. A Philly, Philly hoagies. Um, you know, I took, uh. My daughter, our daughter's 10, so, you know, we had to get her used to, you know, so now she knows a hoagie. Um, but, yeah, the Italian uh, restaurants in, in Philly, we would go to those. and. Um, Do you have a favorite place that you like to go to? Maybe a favorite place from when you were a kid or maybe a favorite place that's opened up recently? Um, just give us the name of one place that you think might be a great spot for folks to go to. We went for long, many years to Rose Tattoo in the Spring Garden area, which is American. I'd say, you know, but pastas and um, an assortment of, but it was just a great setting because it was, again, we talked about the setting, right? And how it makes. Right, right. Yeah. It was just um, like, I think two floors. It was kind of dark in there, but the lighting, there was a lot of plants and it was just a really, I remember having a lot of really great dinners there. Um, with my family, and I remember bringing like one of my a friend that I met in Italy when he came to visit. We went there, and so I have a lot of nice memories of Rose Tattoo and the uh, Spring Garden area of Philadelphia. Good recommendation, uh, Kim Haas. Thank you for being on the program on Destination Eat Drink. It's been great talking to you. It's got me rethinking about uh, Costa Rica and trying to go back there. Oh. So, and I hope so. we're looking forward, you know, your show's on PBS right now. We're looking forward to uh, seeing more from you when you uh, when this pandemic lifts and you're able to get to some more places. Uh, thank you. And if you ever stop by, if you're ever going to be in Philly, let me know. But it's, a real, it's been a real pleasure. Okay, there you go. I'm glad Kim indulged me with a little Philly talk and especially some Sicily talk. That's always fun. Kim's show, Afro-Latino Travels with Kim Haas, is on PBS now. Check your local listings. Like I said in the intro, it's quite unlike anything else on TV. I don't think anyone has done such a deep dive into the art, culture, dance, history, and food of the African descendants in Central and South America and the Caribbean. Well, uh, that's it for this week. Next week, Detroit, Detroit-style pizza, and also the worst place in the world to get a restaurant recommendation. While you're waiting for that, head over to DestinationEatDrink.com. My latest blog entry 
is about vegan buffalo sauce. It's a recipe for vegan buffalo sauce. A lot of us are not traveling nearly as much these days and cooking a lot more at home. So occasionally on my blog, I post recipes. And this one is a vegan version of the famous buffalo wing sauce. You can read that at destinationeatdrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and head hoo-ha Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>